passage in Luke chapter 4 today and look at the question of who is Jesus, a Messiah to praise or to push away. And we're going to examine that in Luke chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Before we, uh, we get there, though, I want to just share with you uh, an opening illustration. August 18th, 2009, many of you will remember it. It is a day that will live in infamy. In fact, it was one of the, the greatest tragedies that ever took place in our neighboring state of Wisconsin. Some of you may recall what took place that summer, August 18th, and the, the terrible tragedy that happened when Brett Favre signed with the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Those of us who were Packer fans, uh, obviously you look at that day with uh, serious uh, hurts. But uh, some of you here in Vikings country may have looked at Brett Favre as if the Messiah had arrived. And uh, he almost did take you to the promised land, but uh, fell just short. Now, I'll tell you something. Us Packer fans, we weren't quite sure what to make of this when, uh, when Brett Favre switched allegiances on us like this. And this was, this was a traumatic experience. And, you know, for many Packer fans, you know, we really wrestled with it. Uh, I, know, uh, I know some folks who kind of went this route. They, they had their Viking shirt on one side and their Packer shirt on the other. And, uh, you know, just they, they were Brett Favre fans, you know, and if he's wearing a Viking jersey, I'm wearing my Vikings jersey or I'll wear my Packers shirt. And I called these folks compromisers. They were, uh, they were the compromisers. Uh, some of us uh, took a little different uh, route. In fact, I got this shirt the summer Brett Favre became a Viking. We'll never forget you, Brent. <laughs> we'll never forget you, Brent. That was, uh, that was one of my favorites. And then, uh, and then I actually got another shirt that summer. This, this was my number one favorite, Judas. <laughs> Judas, right? So uh, now, you know, it's funny when you think about that story, though, how quickly people's allegiances and their devotion can change, you know? Here is this guy who for years, you know, I grew up cheering on and celebrating as one of my heroes, and all of a sudden in one declaration, he became the greatest villain in all of history in my eyes. And for many people, they had that same experience. And, you know, as I thought about that story this morning, I I thought, you know, that really is very similar to what we're going to look at today in Luke's Gospel in chapter 4. Because here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus arrives on the scene publicly for the first time in his hometown of Nazareth and declares himself to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the promised one that had been the, the, the one who had been foretold for thousands of years in Old Testament prophecy. And Jesus goes from being the hero of his hometown in Nazareth to, in one declaration, becoming a villain who is driven out and driven away. And we're going to look at this experience of Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 4 this morning. I want to give us some geographical context for our passage today because not only today, but in the coming weeks, we are going to move into a section of the Gospel of Luke where Luke really focuses on Jesus' ministry in what is known as the area of Galilee in northern Israel. Now, this is a map of northern Israel, so you have got half the map of Israel here. But the northern region, which is outlined in green, is called the area of Galilee in northern Israel. It surrounds the Sea of Galilee. And this is really where Jesus spent the majority of his life and ministry. And so uh, today, for example, we're going to be looking 
looking at Nazareth right there in the middle of the map. Nazareth next to Mount Tabor. That's where Jesus grew up. That's where he was raised by Mary and Joseph. And that's where the story we're going to see today takes place. Some of the other famous cities that we're going to study in the coming weeks of Jesus' ministry, uh, Bethesda, Capernaum, Cana of Galilee, uh, many of the miracles that took place and the famous stories of Jesus and his disciples around the Sea of Galilee took place in this particular region. In fact, uh, Luke very well could have opened up his section today. You know, the Star Wars movies are really popular today. Luke could have opened up his section today by starting chapter 4, a long time ago in a Galilee far, far away. I thought, I've been saving that for like four weeks. You you have no idea how much I wanted to, you know. Uh, But... uh, But this is where this story takes place. This whole region, friends, by the way, is not a very large area. Galilee, the region that Jesus ministered in, was really 50 miles wide by about 80 miles long. And so most of what we know about Jesus was centered in a very small area geographically. Now, this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And as we go through this passage today, the story of Jesus' arrival in his hometown of Nazareth, right there in the center of our map, we're going to see that Luke highlights three scenes in this passage today. Three scenes from this story in Jesus' life. We see a Messiah who is proclaimed, we see a Messiah who is praised, and a Messiah who is ultimately pushed away. And there's some important lessons for us in this passage today as we think about who we say Jesus is. Is he a Messiah to be praised or is he a Messiah to be pushed away? So let's look at this passage together, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. We'll read it, and then I want to come back and make some observations and teach you a few things about this passage. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
a Messiah proclaimed, a Messiah praised, and a Messiah pushed away. This morning I want to share some thoughts from what Luke reveals to us in this episode in Jesus' life and ministry. And to begin with, let's look at the Messiah who is proclaimed here in verses 14 through 21. Now, it's important to understand that as Luke begins this passage in verses 14 through 15, speaking about Jesus traveling throughout the countryside, teaching people, people were amazed at his teaching, people were praising him for his teaching. What Luke is doing here in this passage is he's kind of taking us out of time warp here. All right. What Luke has done from where we were last week, looking at the temptation of Jesus by the devil, to where we are today, Luke has basically jumped ahead a whole year in the life and ministry of Jesus. He skipped ahead a whole year to take us to this point of Jesus' revelation in Nazareth. And so you may be thinking, what happened during that year that Luke doesn't cover? Well, if you want to learn about that period of Jesus' ministry, in the Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 4 of John's Gospel deal with this missing year. Luke just kind of jumps right over it, because Luke, he was, he was laying out his Gospel thematically, and he wanted to lay out the teaching that Jesus was the Messiah, and so he wants to begin his Gospel with this very clear declaration by Jesus that the Messiah has arrived. Whereas other Gospels like John were more concerned about the chronological order of the events. Okay, So what took place in John 1-4? through 4? Well, some of the, the most famous teachings and miracles of Jesus' ministry happened in that period, which Luke just sort of skips right over here. Uh, we have the story of Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. We have the story of Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers, you know, when he went in and cleaned house in the temple in Jerusalem. We have the famous story of Jesus speaking with Nicodemus the Pharisee, where we get that most famous of Bible verses, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whole story took place the year prior to where we are today when Jesus appears in Nazareth. So word had already spread about Jesus, okay? As we come to the scene today where Jesus shows up in his hometown, understand this, he's already been on the scene teaching and preaching and performing miracles for over a year. And can you imagine the setting, can you imagine the scene when Jesus comes to town, right? It's kind of like local boy made good. All right, Jesus comes into Nazareth, and I am sure his family, his friends, his neighbors, they're all excited because the news of what he had been doing had preceded him coming to his hometown. The people knew this guy's performing miracles. He's doing signs and wonders. He's healing people. He's teaching in synagogues all over Jerusalem and Galilee, and he's, he's expounding these incredible words from Scripture. And I can just imagine, friends, that on that particular Sabbath day, as the people of Nazareth came to the synagogue, the synagogue was probably packed to the brim as people wanted to get a glimpse of the local boy made good and see what they had been hearing if it was all true. Now, in verses 16 through 21 of our passage today, we come to really what is the heart of this passage. And here in this section, we find Jesus declaring publicly for the very first time that he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophets going back 4,000 years, the promises that God was going to send his anointed one, the Messiah, into the world. And Jesus here declares that that moment has come. He has arrived. Now, before we get to examine that message specifically, I want you to understand something, friends, what a momentous declaration this is that we're going to look at this morning. 
when Jesus declares to his hometown of Nazareth that the Messiah has arrived. Friends, this, this was an earth-shaking moment. This was a revolutionary moment in all of history. This was a moment that would literally set Jesus on the course to the cross. This was a moment that would forever alter human history when God arrived on the scene as the Messiah. This was a moment, friends, that would draw an irrevocable line in the sand for all time, dividing those who trusted in God and hoped in God and believed in God from those who rejected God's chosen one, the Messiah. This was a momentous event, friends. And so I want you to understand this as we begin this morning. What we're going to see in our passage today are really arguably the most consequential words ever spoken when Jesus declares himself to be God in human flesh, the Messiah. I want us to understand this, friends, because we, we need to appreciate what Jesus is sharing here. We, need, we can't take this passage lightly. We can't take this message for granted. In all of human history, there was never anything like this. God declaring himself present in the form of a man, offering hope, offering life, offering salvation. Now, by way of background, Luke's testimony records that Jesus taught the people that day from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. Now keep in mind, at this time, they, they didn't have the Bible as we know it today, all right? They, the Bible wasn't compiled into a single unit. In fact, they didn't even have books back in that day. What they had were scrolls, okay? So they had scrolls of the different writings of Scripture. They had the scroll of Isaiah, and they had scrolls of Psalms. They had scrolls of the other various prophets. And so when Jesus stood up to teach in the synagogue, the attendant handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And what Jesus would do is he would unroll that scroll and find the section that he wanted to teach on. And so in this case, he unrolled that scroll to the section of Isaiah, which we know today as Isaiah chapter chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. It's a section of the book of Isaiah that taught God's prophetic description of the mission of the coming Messiah. It was a prophecy of the mission of the Messiah given to the prophet Isaiah 700 years earlier. And now Jesus unrolls this scroll and he says, this mission that God has prophesied has now come true in my presence before you. Now, I want you to understand something before we examine the specifics of this messianic mission that Jesus reads for us here today. I, I, I want to make just a brief comment on Jesus' use of Scripture because I think this is important for us to understand this morning. Have you ever wondered why, or, or maybe you've had somebody ask you before, why do you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God? You, you ever thought about that or had somebody ask you, why, why do we believe as Christians that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Well, friends, one of the primary reasons why we affirm the Bible as the inspired Word of God is because Jesus recognized it as such. Jesus affirmed it as the inspired and authoritative Word of God. Now, the Bible claims of itself that it is the Word of God. Okay, we have scriptures like 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God, or is God-breathed. Okay, so it's the Holy Spirit who worked through those human authors to inspire the words God wanted to convey to us. We have other scriptures like 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1.20-21. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy 
prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 